listen, that was great, but it's today, right? We are going to be talking about something very exciting this morning. We're starting a new series today called In the Beginning. And uh, a lot of that is it's the new year. And I believe that we need to go back and really reestablish and, and, and rediscuss who God is, who he is to him and who he is to us and who he is to the world. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to go to page one, chapter one, verse one of Genesis one. And we're going to look at the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, mm, you are moving today. You are moving this morning. I think we can all feel it. And I pray that you would move mightily right now, that your word would scream truth to each one of us in our hearts, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts this morning, God, as we read the words that you wrote for us, that they would come alive. And God, we give you this time fully. And Holy Spirit, speak through me, speak to us. If it's you, let it be spoken. If it's not, shut my mouth. But God, we honor you in this. You are a holy God. And so let us treat this time with the respect and the reverence that it deserves. Hallelujah. You are a faithful God. Thank you for giving us your word and the truth in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. In the beginning, God. These four words should speak volumes to who God is. It should increase our faith. It should give us confidence, reassurance. It should, it should eliminate all fear and doubt. It should put us in awe of God, that in the beginning God. Because when we say that word beginning, we're not talking about God's beginning. We're, we're talking about our beginning. In our beginning, God already was. He stands outside of time and he looks in on what he created, which is us. He is, he was, and he will always be. He is God. In the beginning, God. And to truly appreciate these words, we need to understand the context of how they were written, when they were written, all those things. And, and, and we, need, we need to know, if you don't know, that Genesis is one of the five books of the Bible that are called the Torah, the Hebrew word for Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Greeks uh, call it the Pentateuch. And it is, it is widely known and believed that Moses wrote most, if not all, of the Torah. Moses was a special dude, right? He was an amazing man. Exodus 33 says that he spoke to God face to face as someone who speaks to a friend. He spoke to God in a burning bush. He spoke to God on the mountain in a tent of meeting, all those things. He was anointed. He was Moses. And he knew God in a way that simply no one else did in that time. And so who better to write about God than Moses? And so as he's sitting down and he's, he's, he's going to, to introduce God, he's got his, he's got his pen in his, in his paper or whatever they use then, his papyrus and I don't know, whatever, um, and saying, okay, I'm going to write about God here. What can I say? What words can I use to describe God, right? I know. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. 
And what I love about what Moses does here is that he doesn't explain God. He announces God. He doesn't explain him. He announces him. And if there is something that we need to be ready to do as a church, as believers, not just on Sunday mornings, but outside these walls throughout the week, is, is stop worrying about how to explain God and instead announce God to the people around us that He is God. He is God. In the beginning, God. It's like you can, if you listen closely, you can hear the trumpets blasting, right? Moses announced him. And I'm going to give us three reasons this morning why he chose to do this. There's multiple, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe we could go on and on about that. But the first reason that he doesn't explain God is because God doesn't owe us an explanation. His existence is not predicated on our existence. Remember, this beginning that we're talking about is not his beginning. It is our beginning. And so he doesn't owe us an explanation. So why give it to us? He existed before us. So before there was anyone to worship God in the beginning, God. Before there was anyone to pray to God in the beginning, God. Before the sun rose, before the stars hung in the sky, before the oceans roared, and the gazelle ran before all those things in the beginning, God. So it is the height of arrogance to think that God owes us an explanation as to where he came from. And so rather than even go down that road, he just says, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be announced. He doesn't owe us an explanation, y'all, on anything that he does. He does not owe us an explanation. And so even beyond that, the second reason that Moses doesn't explain God is because you cannot explain the unexplainable. He is beyond us. He is beyond our understanding. And thank God for that. I will never understand why we would want God to be explained fully to us and then still consider him God. Right? That's a contradiction. I'm going to explain to you fully this deity that has always been and always will be, this God of heaven and earth, and then he's still going to be God. It doesn't work that way. If we could explain him, then we would still be on his level, right? We would be on his level, and it wouldn't work anymore. But because he is God, he can't be explained. Does that make sense? I thought that was pretty cool. <clears throat> You know, how much better off would we be? How much better off would the world be if we were in awe of the fact that God was unexplainable instead of skeptical over that? But those two points go together. The second that we realize that he doesn't owe us an explanation is at that same time that we don't want one anymore. But if we think he owes us an explanation, then we also think that he needs to be explained to us. The third reason that Moses doesn't explain God and instead announces him is because God is worthy of being announced. He is worthy and deserving 
of being announced. Revelation 4, verse 8. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day, and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. So in heaven, God is being announced over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because he is worthy of being announced because he is God. He is in the beginning God. And so if we don't announce him, the heavens will. But it is our heart here at Beaches Chapel to exalt the name of God, to announce God every single week in worship, in word, in how we pray, in what we're doing with these community groups that Hannah talked about earlier is we are announcing God during the week as well. And I want to encourage y'all. We've been saying this for a while now. It's not enough. It's not enough for Sunday mornings. We need more. We need the church to be the church. We need y'all to get in community with one another and stop listening to me all the time. Good Lord, that's a good thing. And getting in community and praying for one another, getting in the word, getting in the Bible throughout the week. We need it. And that's the direction we're going and I'm excited about it. And if you were as confused as I was listening to Hannah, don't let that stop you. Just go to the back. We will figure it out together in Jesus' name. Actually, she showed me. It's a step-by-step thing. It's really not hard at all. Um, but it's going to be good. And I just want to encourage everyone this morning. Make the time. Make the time. Because fellowship is not convenient. It is a discipline. And it's not gonna, your calendar is not just suddenly going to clear. Oh, I can do it. You're going to have to make it happen. But here, how we're doing these community groups, they're going to be every other week by design, so that one week we meet as a group, and the next week the church is the church, and you go get coffee, you go to, you go to lunch, or go for a walk, whatever the people in that group want to do, maybe at a different time of the day. But here's what I want to say. The reason we're doing that is because we want to teach each other, I'm putting myself in this, that if it's not on the church calendar, it is okay for you all to get together, right? It is okay. So take the onus on yourself to get with people. With, and some of y'all do an amazing job of that already. I'm preaching to the choir for a lot of us. Thank you, Jesus. We have a great church that does that. But also so we have those weeks in between where we can rest a little bit because we know family time is important and work is hard. So we're going to be doing them every other week. But we're going to fill in those other weeks with just being together. You still got to eat, right? Why not do it with someone in the church? I got off on a tangent there. I don't know where I'm going with it. Thank you. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Revelation twenty-two thirteen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When God is everlasting to everlasting, when he is the beginning and the end, that means... That with that, he has full authority. God has full authority. In the beginning, God means that he's it. Another way of saying that is what he says, 
goes. What he says goes. And that's it. When he is before us, what he says goes. And if we continue in Genesis chapter 1, we'll see that. What he says goes. Starting in verse 1 again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. <coughs> and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the earth. And that is what happened. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Verse 11, then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. Verse 14, then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate day from night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. Y'all seeing a pattern here? Verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, I want to make this distinction this morning. That as we, you know, we skip through a lot of chapter one right there, but in the in-betweens, as God is creating, as he is speaking, and those things are happening, he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then it is very good. And so God, in all of his authority, in the beginning God, with his authority, God only does good. With all the authority that he has, he only does good. He only does good. Not humans. Right? We get a little taste of authority and all of a sudden we go sideways. You know the saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? We have leaders that are corrupt, that get into trying to be a leader because they're already corrupt. Some go in with a good heart and they want to do good and then they get power and then they get corrupt. And then we have some that are actually pretty good, but none of them are perfect. None of them do good all the time. There is only one, and I'm going to tell you who it is. In the beginning, God, and he only does good that is why when we read in the beginning god it should increase our faith we should stand up with confidence we shouldn't cower in fear and worry and stress and be anxious and all those things why because the god that we serve who is our heavenly father who loves us only does good 
That's it, y'all. That's it. And he's been doing it since the beginning of our time. And he's never stopped. He has never stopped. And you might be in a place where you feel like God's not doing very good in your life. He's working. He is working. And you may not see it. You may not realize it now, but he only does good for you. Maybe this season is drawing you closer to him. Maybe, maybe this season is bringing you to your knees in prayer, getting you in the word like you never would have if things were just hunky-dory, right? He works for the good of those that love him. With all the power that he has, he only does good. I think it's interesting. We'll talk about this in a, in a couple weeks more, but, you know, we see this one creation that he makes get a little taste of authority on earth. What happens? We screw it up. Why? Because we want full authority. We want to be like God. We can't handle it. Can't handle it. That's why God says it's me. It's on me. I'm going to do this. You know, if, if we don't understand that in the beginning, God, that he preceded us, that, he, that the beginning that we're talking about is our beginning and not his and that he always was, then that means the only other option is that we create gods. Because if God wasn't before us, then he would have to be either at the same time or after us. And then, then we've now created a God that we serve, which is backwards thinking as well. Isaiah has uh, chapter 44 talks about this. I'm going to read it. And just listen to these words. I, I love how clear the Bible can be sometimes. And it's very clear here. Starting in verse 6, we're going to read through verse 20. It says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times, when I established the people and explained its future. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God? An idol that cannot help him one bit. All who worship idols will be disgraced, along with all these craftsmen, mere humans, who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak and makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses a part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he makes what's left and makes his god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my god. 
such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. But the person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for the heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Now, many of us don't literally do what we read here in Isaiah. When we take wood and build this idol and put it on a shelf and now I'm gonna bow down and worship this thing that I just made. But boy, do we have idols in our life that we do make, that we then worship and expect to do things on our behalf. And God's saying, there's only one. There's only one in the beginning, God. There's no plural to that. There's no list. In the beginning, God. And until we can receive that and believe that, we will always stumble. Because truth is only found in God. And so in order to gain truth, we have to believe who God is and what he says about himself. And what he says about himself is in the beginning, God. I am, I was, and I will always be God. And truth is found in me. So build your idols all you want. They aren't going to do you a lick of good. We don't build God in our life. He already was. He created us. That's the order. That's why we bow to him. Because he's unexplainable. Because he's awesome. Because he was in the beginning. Anything else, what are we doing? But with that too comes reassurance and confidence and fear and doubt and worry and guilt and shame can all get out the door. Because with all of his authority, with all of his authority, he does good. We're gonna have the band come back up and we're gonna see right here, I want y'all to stay with me, where we see God doing good. Now we're gonna go to John chapter one. In the beginning, the word, and read that again. In the beginning, the word already existed. Sounds pretty familiar, right? The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything, like we just read, through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word, capital W, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. So in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus. Because Jesus is God. And Jesus has full authority. And with that authority, he does the ultimate good by seeing a world that is full of sin that he created and he says I'm not going to be like a judge with a gavel and rule guilty, guilty, guilty and send you to prison 
like we deserve. He says, with all the authority that I have, and I have it all, I'm going to do my best work now. And I'm going to leave heaven. And I'm going to come be part of the creation that I created. And I'm going to save you. Because with all the authority that I have, I only do good. I only do good. And I'm going to be your savior. You don't have to make an idol. You don't have to make a God. I always was. And I'm going to come to you. The word became flesh and made his own home among us. And he, he left heaven completely. That wasn't his home anymore. It was here on this earth. All the mess that we made it. He said, I'm going to show you how good I am. We talked about Moses announcing God with those first four words in Genesis 1-1. Listen here. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks and sheep. I told you all that every sermon is a Christmas sermon. Here we are. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. God has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So what does the angel do when Jesus is born? He doesn't explain him. He announces him. Why? Because he's God and he is worthy of being announced. So just as Moses writes the announcement of God in Genesis 1, so does Luke in Luke chapter 2 with the angel announcing God to whom? These shepherds, lowest on the totem pole, social outcasts, forgotten in all of society. And God says, I'm going to go to them. And I'm going to announce to them that I've made my home here. That I am a God with all the authority in all the world. And I only do good.
side of eternity to the other. Because I only do good for you. I only do good for you. My prayer this morning for each one of us is as we leave today, we would remember who God is. We remember that in the beginning, God, and that there's nothing that is too great for Him. There is no sin that He can't forgive. His blood and His sacrifice on the
in shame anymore, in guilt, or in condemnation anymore. But we would trust that you are true to your word and that your sacrifice on the cross was enough, that your love covers a multitude of sins. And so, God, as we say we are sorry, we also, in the same breath, say we receive your forgiveness.